Welcome back to Following Noah Donna Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 113, and we are closing out part two. Uh, we're doing chapter 43, and then our three interludes between part two and part three. Elliot, how are you? I am I am just fine. I am excited. Interludes are always fun. Although, I feel like our interludes in this book have been shockingly relevant to our story. Yeah, I agree. Which is helpful, but maybe not as exciting. I don't know. Good stuff. I'm excited to talk about it. I just real quick on that i feel like it should be the other way around it where like the way of kings interludes should be more relevant than they are and then rhythm of war you could get more obscure with them because when you read the first 13 chapters of the way of kings and then you jump into interludes a, a new reader especially if they don't have like somebody walking them through it they're like what is what am i reading i don't i was just getting the hang of kaladin and shallan and all of that and now you're just throwing these random characters do i have to keep track of these people no you don't it's just random moving on i think you should be flipped but anyway paul how are you great excited for our 113rd episode here and um uh, trevor's rolling his eyes really hard i i regret (laughs) (laughs) oh man i don't think we've done it enough that's my that's my opinion on it but Anyways, I'm super excited about this. I see what you're saying with the interludes. I love the way it was done. Interludes have been like the coolest thing, like reading element of this, this series that that I absolutely adore. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's not great. Sometimes I'm like, what the heck am I supposed to get from this? Um, you know, and especially if I didn't have someone to kind of like point things out later on, especially because some you find the connection like a book and a half later. Um, but I think it makes total sense that our interludes are more related now because our story has to be more pointed now. We can't just keep hopping over to all this like crazy randomness, like world building stuff. I think, I think now we're getting down to business, you know? Um, so with all that, I'm excited to talk about these interludes. We have some really, really good ones in my opinion. I agree. Do you have two words for them? I do. Redemption timeline. All right. Elliot? This time, Paul is going serious and Elliot's going cheeky. Mine are uh, chicken dinner. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's use these four words and end part two of Rhythm of War. All right, we'll start with Elliot's. I, <laughs> uh, chicken dinner. I, I can tie it in. It's relevant. I, I'm fascinated by this, uh, the two uh, colored chickens that we see in the, in the lift episode, the, the green and the red and blue chickens, which I now always translate that word chicken to parrot in my yep. head. It, you know, if we're talking about bright colored birds, and we know that Brandon Sanderson has a, a parrot or macaw or some macaw. sort of yep. bird like that right so that that's just what i immediately translated to, to in my mind 
Really interesting interaction there. I'm excited to talk about it with you guys because I don't think I understood all the implications of what we saw happen in that chapter. There's, uh, but we'll get there. Big implications in that chapter. I, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. I have questions. And then uh, chicken dinner just rolls off the tongue, right? It works and lift eats things and gets her stormlight from that and some new questions around that, perhaps. So chicken dinner. Well, my words, redemption timeline, um, mostly go together, but you can take them apart a little bit. And redemption isn't stating my my opinion on Teravangian, but it is talking about Teravangian. And we kind of see the beginning of a potential redemption arc. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, some really crazy stuff happens in our last interlude, which I am excited to talk to y'all about. Uh, and yeah, we'll we'll talk about it more. Uh, timeline is kind of just in reference to the big diagram that um, him and Odium look at, and also trying to figure out this whole Tervenia situation because he is not a a good guy, but he kind of sorta has plans to be a good guy in the future if the opportunity arises. Maybe. Yes, so I'm kind of Maybe. wondering what this timeline would look like. So, I, I do want to pause on this word real quick, and we can talk about this. Elliot, I have written evidence of this from you, that you have uh -oh. said that nobody is beyond redemption. Mm. And I feel like Brandon Sanderson is really testing that of for, for you, because in these interludes we have Moash, and Teravangian, and I actually can't believe that you, after like a paragraph, that you would apply redemption to Teravangian because Teravangian, in my book, is number one villain of this. Mm -hmm. uh, like even not Moash, even worse than Odium, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wow. think I think Teravangian is the worst, and after a brief after a brief exchange with Teravangian, you're like, yeah, he's he'll, he'll be a good guy now. Like, mm, are you sure? Clarification may be on the dumb Teravangian. Smart okay. Teravangian is way worse. And it kind of talks about that sum of, like, levels of sympathy felt um, and things like that. But I, I can see. I, I haven't had near... I would definitely put Odium and personally have more against Moash than Teravangian, even though Teravangian has done way more bad things. Like, like as far as the list of crimes committed right now, mm -hmm. Teravangian probably takes the cake. Uh, Odium probably takes the cake. We just don't have a detailed list, I think, of all the things. Um, as far as he's like, killed several shards. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. That that's true. But as far as, like, total body count, I think Teravangian might be higher than Odium right now. I, uh, it's plausible, yes. <laughs> but has Odium been around, like, forever? He, he has. And if, yeah, if you, if you attribute, like, every war between, every desolation between <laughs> the few, you know, th then that's not going to add up. But, anyway. But yeah, I, I see what you mean, though. I, I, I understand. And so I'm I'm not saying he's redeemed, but I got really excited 
that he has a plan for good potentially. That's that's exciting. I I, I can't. I'm hopeful for that. I I feel like I need to jump in here and and take a stance and, and defend my my comment that <laughs> Trevor you called on a, a moment ago. I. I'll start by saying I'm not quite as far as I, it sounds like you are, Paul, in the Teravangian redemption path here. I I do stand by my comment from before that there is there is no person who is beyond redemption. There there is no low that you can't come back from. The the caveat in the sentence there being the come back from part that that's mm-hmm. that's not a you know you get a pass, you've done terrible things, now you're back to good. No, no, no. You can work back from the bottom and climb out of the hole. Teravangian has just stopped digging and looked up to see the light is kind of how I'm looking at this. I'm going to quote Dalinar here. I'm I'm probably paraphrasing because I don't remember it exactly. So correct me because you'll probably know the quote. But doesn't he say like, Maybe a hypocrite is just someone who's in the process of change. Mm-hmm. That that's I thought of that quote right whenever I was like reading this chapter. Right whenever it was happening, I was like, "Is this what we're seeing right now?" Because now they finally know that Tervangian is bad. Because there's kind of been the understanding from our character's perspective that he's not bad. He's just kind of a ruler and a little, you know iffy mm-hmm. but now it's like Teravangian is bad and then now Teravangian is less bad than he was there's just there's just a lot going on there so yes um yeah so that's why i chose that word <laughs> yes all of that yeah is there someone on your mug there is um this week i have a teapot dedicated to our surgeon ryan thank you so much ryan we have a little a lovely little green teapot Right here, with a lid and everything. And uh, so, we're going to have some tea time today and talk about the Stormlight Archive in your honor. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, thank you. Uh, Did I ask you both for your words, or did I skip that? Yes, that's how we got started on Teravangian oh, talk. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Chapter 43. Kaladin is so dramatic. I love him so much. He, he he has so much drama happening in his head. And I think he gets it from his father. Because his father is also very dramatic. <laughs> so this, this chapter, I won't... Uh... Actually, I'll let you guys start. What did you guys think of chapter 43? A lot of conflict in this chapter, specifically between Kaladin and Lirin. It's funny you mentioned we we maybe learn here where Kaladin gets his yeah, emotional whatever side, but we hadn't necessarily seen this from Lirin before. That this maybe a little bit of kind of the passionate side, but this feels like Lirin kind of exploding a little bit. Which yeah. I mean, I kind of get. Your son just killed someone in the middle of your your surgery room. So, yeah, that that's traumatic. But he definitely explodes on a new level. Lyra does. 
That's true. I I will say, we haven't had, over the course of our books, we haven't had a ton of Liren interaction. We had a good bit in the first book, like flashbacks, and then some of the start of this book and things, you know. But he hasn't, I wouldn't consider him one of our, like, major characters overall, right? But we do have some, like, very notable things about him that we, like, know kind of make up his character traits. And a lot of that is kind of this, like, almost pacifism, but, like, this, like, emphasis on being a surgeon, not a warrior, um, and things like that. It has very strong, like, personal morals on a lot of these things, which I have a lot, like, respect for that. However, I feel like he's getting really, really, like, crazy with Kaladin, and it's like, we are facing the brink of human destruction right now. Can't we, like, can't we take into consideration maybe stepping away from these rules that you've had in your for your personal life, you know? Right. Like, it, Liren is making a very big deal about it, and it's like, alright, let's read the room, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but no, this was pretty intense to see Kaladin and Liren, like, I don't know what you call it, just arguing like crazy. But I mean, it, it gets, it gets personal too, that they really get at it. The one line that really hit me was when Liren throws out it at Kaladin, he says, stop being part of the problem. It's like. I don't know. Wow. They they really have very opposite views here on this. Yeah, the one side being pacifism, the stop being part of the problem, don't take action, even if that means in the moment things are going to be worse. Don't stand up against the oppression because l- later on in the long term that will pay off by de-escalating or or whatever else, you know, you might want to uses as the rationale there where whereas Kaladin is on the side of I can't not take action. I can't stand here and watch my friend get taken probably to his death. I have to do something. Yeah. Do you think Kaladin was justified walking in there and Picking up Teft, or could could he have let Teft go to the Radiant Room? This is a tough question. I asked myself this question a couple times as I was prepping for this. Is do do I think I can justify Kaladin's action? You know, who, whose side of this argument am I on? I I don't know. I don't know. I I think I tend to be more on the side of of Kaladin of of taking action and that sometimes sometimes the right thing to do is a, a difficult one but i don't know at the same time it doesn't seem like the 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 singers are just going around like executing people like they're not seeing that and so for for kaladin to go straight to violence ah uh, maybe it's a, a step too far I I think Kaladin is fairly justified simply because of the Regal's attitude and the Regal's dialogue 
um, he's threatening all the radians, but specifically Teff's life as he's wa- as he's picking him up. He's like, yeah, we should just throw him off the tower, and so so that then puts the idea in Kaladin's head of I need I need to save him. I need to move or else he will die. Is um, is the implication there? Now, Raboniel says in the last episode that they're not going to kill all the Radiants, at least not yet. They're just going to collect them all and put them in the same room. But uh, Kaladin doesn't know that. So right. based on the dialogue that he hears, I, I think Kaladin is justified here. And then he he succeeds in killing the regal. Mm-hmm. The other one runs away, though, right? He lets the other one go. Yep. So somebody, Raboniel probably, is going to get a direct report of exactly what just went down. Yeah, he his cover's blown. And I guess maybe even more importantly, the person that's going to hear about this is the pursuer. The pursuer is headed for him. And the Regal knew about that. The Regal thought he was about to claim a bounty, pretty much. Yeah. And so Kaladin, you know, grabs Teft and runs. I guess I mentioned last time for perhaps a impending game of, of hide-and-go-seek. I Here it comes. Yeah. Kaladin is, is off to hide, and the pursuer is pursuing. Pursuing, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's important to keep in mind here. Kaladin picks up Teft and then goes to hide, but he doesn't have his lashings. He only has adhesion. So he can't fly, but he can, uh, he can stick stuff to other stuff. He can like, you know, stick Teft to the ceiling, I guess. Uh, but he, he can't, he can't fly. So he's pretty much stuck in the tower. The the other bit of this of interest, we mentioned it last time. Teft appears to be more awake or closer to being awake mm-hmm. than the other radiants. I think there's a scene here where Kaladin is, you know, feeding Teft, and Teft kind of responds to it. He he kind of knows what's going on. Whereas the other ones are just kind of like holding their mouths open and pouring broth in. And there was actually a comment in one of the the previous chapters from last last episode, I it's going to become even more relevant here when we start talking about lift. The comment was from I think it's it might be Raboniel. Basically, the implication was beings that are more invested may be able to resist this power more so. Yeah, and so the question we're left with is, you know, why is Kaladin awake? Why is Kaladin? able to do his thing. We didn't, we didn't really dive into that too much last episode, but now we're about to find out that lift is also awake in an interlude coming up here. And Teft might be like on the brink here of being awake. So is it that simple that they are more invested, carrying more power that I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused by that because usually when I think of investiture, I think of stormlight, like the actual raw power. Yeah. And so that that seems to vary, right? By how much you know 
stormlight they suck in from the spheres that they have. It doesn't seem like Kaladin's walking around, you know, just fully brimming with with stormlight. He's not. So, like, what exactly does that mean? He he's has he reached a certain level with his oaths? Does he have like an extra powerful bond with Sill that makes him more invested? Like, why is he resistant? Why is Lift resistant? And why is Teft also slightly more resistant? Lift will get to here in a second because Lift should 100% be asleep, in, in my opinion, because she's an edge dancer. She doesn't have the adhesion. But I think as far as Windrunner, Windrunners go, Kaladin was affected by it. It kind of gave Kaladin a brief, like, shock. But, um, and then it sent Teft into a seizure, um, as opposed to, like, out cold. So that, I think that has to do with adhesion, and then the higher, higher ideal you have, the better you can resist it. And then lift is a completely different thing, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. There's also that other word that gets thrown around sometimes connected with a, with a capital C capital for C, Paul's, yep. for Paul's benefit that there's mentions of like, this actually comes up in the odium and Moash chapter where odium talks about, I I'm connected to you. You know, maybe that's a part like what's it at play here. Maybe Kaladin is more connected to, honor or sill or something that gives her that and maybe lift is connected to cultivation we ha- perhaps we we learn here well, we'll talk about that in a second but mm-hmm. i i'm still i'm still left with the question of why are why are these people awake yeah all of our main characters conveniently okay the tower has fallen at the end of part two here where uh prediction time where's this going it's dalinar and yasna coming back to save the day is this going to be more permanent than that what's what, what's going to happen so what i thought would happen at the end of part two was i thought we might get our or Kaladin fourth ideal and something crazy happens with that and um that kind of turns the tides more. Um but we haven't had that. So if there's not some big announcement at the start of part three, then I don't fully know. If there's not some big announcement at the start of part three of like Oh, Dalinar's back, or Kaladin gets his fourth ideal, and Tef gets his fourth ideal, or like I don't, all this crazy stuff happens. Then I would say it's a more like long term. They've lost control of Eurythiru, and that is the way of life for a little while. I think I foresee a big negotiation about to happen. We we got a little bit of a glimpse into Raboniel's motive, what she's after. She mentions that she wants some sort of a partnership with the humans. She mentions that she wants she wants the radiance, she wants their fabrials, and she wants to end the cycle of war. That this was a I think a conversation she had with Venley 
in one of the the previous chapters. And so I think what's about to happen is they have the tower where it's incapacitating radiance. So Dalinar and Yasna, they can't really make an assault on the tower as is, I don't think. They could try, maybe, but I don't think it would go well. They're probably going to come to that conclusion pretty fast, too. So what's probably going to go down is a big old negotiation. Rabonio is going to want something, and Dalinar and Yasna are going to have to figure out, can we partner with her? I, I will say those bits of information from Rabonio, what she wants on the surface seems perhaps encouraging, like peace, partnership, stop this whole fight. That that all sounds fantastic. That that seems to me like the only way out of this conflict of you have fused who can't die. You have radiants who are growing in more and more power with all these fabrical abilities. This is all out, you know planet-wide war the only way this ends is with some sort of a truce Rabonio seems to want that but i'm i'm just a little hesitant because Rabonio is too logical we know that the fused are they're broken beings they, they are twisted they they've been around they've been tortured for thousands of years we keep getting these hints that, oh, she's the most dangerous of them all. She also was banished or killed or something in the past because of some terrible things she did, like wiping out you know half of her own race in an attempt to wipe out the humans. Like That's the kind of stuff she's capable of. And so I'm, I'm scared that kind of like another shoe is going to drop and that what she thinks is a partnership with humans to arrive at peace is actually going to be something horrible. Yeah. The yeah, I would agree with you. The idea of end the war, she probably would pursue that at any cost. Uh, whether that's you know, sunshine and rainbows and figuring out how to allegiance yourself with the humans, or on the other hand, completely wiping out the humans, she'd be down for either one as long as you stop the war. Right. Anything else for 43? All right. The uh, end of part two. Elliot, do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, as always, I I tried to bring some of my thoughts together into a what what have we learned from this what from this part what have we seen our characters go through what might be a theme for for this part and i you know some parts are easier than others some of them come to me quickly and some of them don't this one this one doesn't quite fit i'm not super happy with with this one but it's it's the best i could come up with to to sum it up in one word i would i would put it as doubt i think that we've got several characters dealing with either uncertainty or doubt or worry. Kaladin is definitely one of them. I think he's doubting whether his role as a healer is the correct one for him. We just saw that come to a climax here in his confrontation with Liren. He, I think, is realizing that he believes more in in taking action and can't be a, a pacifist. 
can he reconcile that with being a healer? I don't know. I think there's some doubt there. I think Navani is starting to be exposed to some doubt. We got the interaction between Navani and the sibling where the sibling was kind of trying to get her to realize what she's doing with the spren and trying to get her to understand that that's not okay. So I think there's a bit of a doubt creeping into Navani's mind or there might be here soon of is science worth it? You know, she, she's kind of rationalizing a lot of this of, oh, we're just discovering things. Well, maybe she's going to start to question that here, uh, especially as if she starts to interact with the sibling even more. We see a lot of doubt in the Shalon storyline where we're at. Shalon is trying to figure out who the spy is in her ranks and kind of where we've left Shalon at this point. Candidate, prime candidate number one, suspect number one is pattern. Pattern. Is pattern. And so there's some massive kind of doubt or suspicion going on in that storyline. And then Adolin, Adolin kind of flips the, my, my theme on his head, actually. Everyone else is doubting Adolin, and Adolin is not doubting himself. And I'm specifically thinking of Maya kind of in all of this. Everyone is thinking, Adolin, you, you, that's a dead eye. Why are you even talking to her? Why are you even you know, interacting with her at all? And Adolin is 100% confident, you know, because she's a person, because she's here, she's real. We can talk about this. And so there's kind of doubt circling there, but Adolin is not the source of it, which is is kind of different. He sticks out here a little bit. And and the only thing I can't quite fit into this is Venley. This this is okay. supposed to be Venley's story, right? How can I how can I pin doubt into her journey here in part two? And I, I can't really, but I don't know that. Venley really has gone on much of a journey in this part two. She's more been just kind of a point of view. We're just kind of seeing things through Venley's eyes as they're happening. I don't know that Venley's interacted too much with the story so far. I'm, I'm hoping that's going to change. I'm hoping we're going to get some flashbacks. I'm hoping we're going to get into that more, and we'll see where that goes for now. But the 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 theme I could I I, I tried to get to with this one was doubt. Word through part two and we have yet to see a single flashback chapter that's i didn't even exactly realize that yeah page count we're coming up on halfway through the book actually we're we're about 50 60 pages away from halfway that's something that i was noticing i uh can't always tell how far through the book we are doing the audiobook but I think when we finished last week, I went and like found where the chapter ended in my book to just like see how far we are. And I was surprised I, we were further than I guess I thought we had been. Alrighty. Vire is our first interlude or Moash for the layman. What did you guys think of having our Moash interlude? He who he who quiets is his title, whereas he says in this interlude, "He who lifts rocks," because that's what he does. I uh, I thought this was my my serious comments are how. I mean, we're just seeing more and more of the fruit of Moash's decision-making um, and how he's, he's really running with a, a tough crowd, you know? He's been hanging out with Odium a lot, and uh, he's basically got an entire new identity. We saw at the end of Oathbringer... I think it was the end of Oathbringer. No, 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 that was the beginning of this book. 
whenever he's with Kaladin, that he kind of calls to Odium to, like, take his pain and things like that. Yep. We see how he's, like, very reliant on Odium. Um, and we see that, and I feel like this is just even further. And he's not even really Moash anymore. He's he's Vire. And he, like, just all this, all this stuff. Um, my funny comment was, I kind of am picturing Spider-Man 3 Tobey Maguire's emo phase. <laughs> and I'm very, like, um, ironic way. I feel like this is Marish's big emo phase, uh, if you want to put it in very casual terms. It definitely feels wrong to me, the, the state where he's at. You know, he he talks about all these emotions that he, he doesn't have anymore. And, and even when they, when they appear, they, they immediately get, you know, pulled away by, by odium. And I just can't help but thinking that, you know, those emotions are important. E- even if they're darker or negative emotions, the, there's a reason why we feel emotions like that, that they're intended to cause us to respond in, in certain ways where we're supposed to feel shame when we do things we we shouldn't do we're supposed to feel you know disappointment when you know we act the way we shouldn't you know th- those kinds of things and and yes there's there's ways you can kind of stretch that in ways that aren't healthy you can feel overly shame and, and depression and things like that but to go without those emotions just leaves this man without a conscience kind of is where this gets to, where he he can justify anything, because oh, Odium will take my pain. It's fine. Yep. He claims he is unchained. He is no longer chained by his emotions, and he gets called out on this not once but twice in this interlude. Once by Ken, whatever her name is. The yeah. um the singer lady who was trained by Kaladin back in part one or two of of Oathbringer, and then again by Odium. And Odium says, You call yourself unchained, yet you think so often of Kaladin. And then he says, I am mostly unchained. <laughs> so did you guys have anything uh, about that besides, you know, just kind of comical, in my opinion? So it talks about this. There's like this one chain that Moash still has, right? Um, and that it's he's kind of sort of chained to Kaladin or like at least feelings in affiliation with Kaladin. Um, and so this definitely points to either Kaladin is the one and only person who could potentially get through to Moash or I mean, I mean, Moash's goal kind of right now is to destroy Kaladin. That's also Odium's goal as well, which we kind of learn here or one of them. Um, and so there's just kind of a very personal vendetta of not even taking into account, um, the past like drama between Kaladin and Moash. If you even take all that out of the picture, Moash wants Urvire, 
wants to be completely unchained and have no like worry, no emotion, none of these feelings. And that's like the one thing that's keeping him connected to that in in some capacity, as yep. far as I understand. So he would like to see Kaladin gone, I believe. But he also, in his twisted mind, sees it as a mercy for for Kaladin. So Odium tells Vire that he's going to capture Moash like he captured, or sorry, he's going to capture Kaladin like he captured Moash, and. Moash thinks to himself in his head, all right, that's all well and good, but I'm going to kill Kaladin before you can do that to save him from that. And that's that's Moash's goal right here. Is, uh, Odium wants to capture Kaladin. Mo- Moash wants to kill Kaladin is how we end up here. We get a capital C connection discussion here where... Odium and Moash go back and forth of, all right, how do we attack Kaladin? How do we how do we infiltrate his mind? And Moash says, you gotta isolate him and make him feel super depressed. That's that's how you fight Kaladin. And Moash says, Well, can't you just pull him into a bunch of visions and show him a bunch of depressing stuff? And then Odium says, Well, I'm not connected to him like I am to you, so I can't pull him into visions but you are connected to him so you can actually go into his nightmares and show him things in his nightmares and that's their that's their game plan is for Moash to connect with Kaladin instead of Odium which is fascinating to me because I'm I'm still trying to decipher that that term connected and it seemed so far to have applied to like humans and spren so i was kind of drawing mental parallels to the the bond that like a radiant has with their spren you know maybe it's a version of that but now we're talking about moash and kaladin two humans so now now i have to shift my framework a little bit of how i'm thinking about that term i don't know if you would classify odium as as spread necessarily, but it also applies sure. to Odium and Moash. Um, but yes, it, it certainly has been referenced to spread as well. So whenever I initially was reading this, I, th- in, in, I, with knowledge that Odium can't have, What's the name for the Knights of Radiant Order? <laughs> Can't have a... Bondsmith? Yes, Bondsmith. <laughs> so sorry. Um, with If I hadn't learned that just then, I would be kind of convinced that Moesh is like his Bondsmith. And it would even kind of like pair with the... Aren't, isn't he... In your theory right now, or no, he's not, is he? Who? Moash. He's not. He's not in your theory. He is by the end of this interlude. So the interlude actually happens okay. before, um, last episode. Um, okay. Like timeline wise, and then in last episode, 
uh, Moash is there activating the Oath Gates in your Ethereum. He's okay. he's the the key turner, going back and forth and getting a bunch of fused. Because that adds up in my thought process, which was like maybe Moash was this other bondsmith that the sibling woke up because of. Okay. Um, and stuff. So without that knowledge, I would have thought that Moash is kind of his his uh, champion, if you will, his bondsmith. You know. Are we going to get more Kaladin Moash interaction in your theory, or are they going to do the the nightmare thing first? I think they'll do it first, or I think we will see both for sure. I think we're definitely going to have another like kind of standoff between them. Um, I don't necessarily know what order that's going to go in. Yeah, Kaladin may be on the run from the Pursuer and then also potentially kind of on the run from Moash's Nightmares as well. We'll see where this this goes with. I I don't know. Kaladin's about to have a rough time, I think. Yes. (laughs) Yes. If that wasn't uh, evident before this as well. Through the last he's three. definitely having a difficult time. Through the last three books as well. You know, just mm-hmm. yeah. having a, a rough time. <laughs> it's a good summary yeah. of, of the story. And I, and I think the big question in front of us with this, this rough time, is it going to be enough to push him to his fourth ideal? Is it going to be enough to cause him to accept whatever he needs to to level up again i i that's what i'm on the lookout for that's a good question or is he gonna die is he dying this book yes for sure is there any shot that kaladin dies in book four is there any shot? I mean, there's a shot. I, I'm kind of... Overall, I feel like there's been a lack of character deaths still. It's like, we'll have new characters introduced so that they can be the deaths, and then it's not that meaningful. Sure. So, I feel like there should be a big a big death. Um, if it was Kaladin, that would be very sad. Would would that be too much of a gut punch before the fifth book, though? If the fifth book is is supposed to be our our climax of this this story, I I don't know. Any any shot at Kaladin dying in this book definitely could okay. definitely happen. I don't. Well, I put yeah. put putting on my my prediction hat, putting something down on the the whiteboard. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that, you know, I, I kind of find myself asking what, what does that do for the story? Are, are we at a point where Kaladin's death would, you know, push someone further along their journey or be a monumental part of the plot so far? I, I don't think so. 
I don't think enough people are kind of involved with Kaladin right now for his death to mean as much as it could later. Okay. I'm tracking with you. I was going to say, like, logically, looking at the scenario here, could Kaladin die? Yes, that is possible. But given how our story is going to go or what we what we know so far, I don't think he will die. I could see a character like Teft's level dying, honestly, and like then being a big motivator to Kaladin. Um, okay. Yeah, and that would be a meaningful death. Like that, that level of character would, um, yeah, I could see something like that happening. I yeah, think if I, anything, Kaladin will die. I think if anything in this book, Moash might die. I think oh, that we okay. we yeah. may get some sort of a twist or or turn that makes us care about Moash again, and then he doesn't make it. Like maybe he starts to get. A redemption path tries to turn you know towards towards the good again maybe in his efforts to try and corrupt kaladin or destroy kaladin maybe he sees a bit of something and then before he can truly turn around and, and maybe kaladin even tries to help him or protect him he doesn't make it and he, and he dies and that's the you know heart-wrenching moment I was going to say, like, yeah, if, if Moesh dies, do we think there's going to be a dramatic, like, he's kind of on his deathbed and is like, oh, I've made a big mistake, you know? Like, do you think there would be any redemption? Or is it going to kind of be, like, it was Amaram, Amaram just died, right? And he was just evil all the way through, you know? Um, is it, is, is it going to be that, where it's, is he's just a bad guy and we kind of leave it there? Um, or are we going to see something else, you know? I would kind of like to see the redemption, but Moash is extremely devious, so... It would take a ton. But Kaladin would be the one to do it, so... It's true. Alright. Why is Lyft awake? Why is Lyft awake? I wait, wait, I kind of talked about this already. I'm, I'm very confused about this. Maybe she has some special connection. Cultivation comes up in this chapter again. Yeah. Maybe there's something special going along there. Like is is Caled Caledon storm blessed, right? So so he's the chosen one of honor. Is is Lyft like the chosen one of of cultivation somehow here? Cultivation blessed. Yeah. Grow grow blessed. <laughs> the uh I'll work on it. Yeah, Wendell kind of muses to himself. He he asks Lyft, you know, what happened with your with your boon and your curse? Tell me about your boon and your curse. And Lyft says, Well, it's not exactly a boon and a curse because I didn't talk to the Night Watcher. I talked to Cultivation. Which Wendell then says Wait, really? That then you and Dalinar talked to Cultivation. She's way more involved than she's letting on. Um, so, and then let me ask you guys this: Did you guys think twice about Lyft changing food into Investiture? That was a big question we had initially. It was like, what the heck is this? 
Why? Why can? Why does this work? Because she doesn't like even suck in stormlight normally, right? Like she has right. to have food. And I didn't. When I read this for the first time, until I got to this chapter, I was like, "Yeah, you know, it's just an engine answer thing, I guess." But no, it's not. It's it's a lift thing, and it appears that this is why is that she's using cultivation's power, and not honor's power. So cultivation did something with or to left to let her be awake here. Yeah. This is making me, I've I've always known the metabolism investiture thing was weird, but I still kind of assumed it was the same magic that it was still stormlight for lack of a more specific or a better term there, this seems to imply that it's not that, that this is, it's still investiture, right? But that it's not stormlight specifically. Yeah. So then the now kind of like, well, what is it? And this kind of pulls my mind back to the whole, the sibling has, the sibling has their own light. What is what does cultivation have? Does what what does cultivation's investiture look like? And, yeah. I, and I'm a, a few times I've kind of asked myself the question: Is it void light? Are the are the singers, you know, the the native inhabitants of this land that cultivation seems to be kind of the mother earth of? They wield void light seemingly naturally, or at least well. Is that kind of an alignment there? Do we need to start associating void light with? cultivation where perhaps I would have been more inclined to associate it with odium elsewhere. I don't know. Yeah. And the singers can hear the rhythms of Rashad and that's been tied to cultivation before. So there might be another tie there as well. Yeah. It could easily still be that the singers are, they have a link to cultivation through the rhythms and, and what have you, but they've kind of given their allegiance to Odium. And so he gives them his void light to wield right. or something like that. So I'm not convinced anyway, which way or the other there, but, but it still kind of leaves us with the quest of the question of what is, what is lift doing here? What, what exactly, what magical, mechanism is enabling her abilities yeah well we can talk about this more in a second but did you guys catch this lift has something in her magic stash magic stash her stash of stuff that we've been looking for did you guys catch this yes i did let 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 me read it real quick okay again i did get really excited about this this was neat this just gave me a Little Mermaid vibes, where she's just finding a bunch of stuff all over the tower, and then who's it's and what's it's. Yes, exactly. Galore. Yeah. All right, let me let me read this. <laughs> Got thingamabobs. <laughs> they eventually reached her nest, a large opening where four tall ventilation shafts met. Here, she'd piled up blankets, food stores, and some treasures. One of Dalinar's knives, she was absolutely sure he hadn't wanted her to steal. Some interesting shells, and an old flute that Windle said looked strange. 
I got really excited when I read that. Yes, it's Hoyd's flute. Get it? Where's that's my I, flute? That's what I think it it's is. It's right here. The one it's that just some Kaladin, old flute. Kaladin lost. Yeah. Which makes you wonder: Did he lose it, or did, did lift lift steal it? it? <laughs> that's true. I, I was trying to live, think back through my timelines. Lift had not arrived on the scene yet mm-hmm. when Kaladin lost it, right? So, so he he did lose it, I think, or maybe someone else stole it and Lift stole it from them. But yes, I I noticed this too. It definitely, it's got to be that flute. Definitely seems like a little Easter egg there. I've been wondering: is this flute going to actually have any? Significance? Yeah, do we even know what this thing is capable of? We don't, right? We just know it's associated with Hoyd. Therefore, does it must he, be cool. Does he play it any during the Wonder Cell chapter, or does he just give it to him? I think he plays it. Yeah, he's, and kind of he gives plays the it during the Wonder Cell. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if this is actually relevant or if it's just that you know, oh, cool Easter egg doesn't do anything, but it's fine. Okay, the actual action of the chapter. Lift, or Wendell says, oh, the tower's freaking out. Lift goes and looks out the window, and a bunch of Windrunners have fallen um, out of the sky. And then she sees two aviars, or chickens, as she calls them, fighting. And she follows them up the tower into this a level that's higher up and green chicken is attacking red chicken red chicken finds what you assume to be its owner its um caretaker and red chicken's caretaker is dead green chicken's caretaker shows up and says ah i've been wanting to hunt you little radiant and lift picks up red chicken and runs and that's the end of the chapter. What do you guys think of this? I'm I'm really excited and that I understand some of the references here. I immediately keyed into as soon as we saw the the green chicken, I remembered Moray's and his green chicken AVR that he's got. The what what exactly goes down here though? This is another one of those moments I've had a lot of these before where I know this is significant. I know this is important. I even in this one feel like I should understand this, but I, but I don't, I, I read like the paragraph like six times where it describes the owner of this red chicken, this red bird trying to find something to tell me who this is. Like surely we're supposed to know who this is. We're supposed to know why, this is important, and I I couldn't even come up with any guesses. I a, a herald maybe that we haven't met before. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of crazy the implications here. Actually, what there's a second AVR owner in the tower that we're assuming this is Marais was hunting, and Lift recovers the AVR before Marais can get it, his hands on it. 
Right. And like, why? Like all, all the, all the questions start flying. Why, why is Murray's hunting this person? Why does Murray's want to hunt lift? Yeah. A- aside from maybe a, he likes to hunt. He, he likes a challenge. He, he wants something that's difficult and, and challenges his abilities. And, and he knows lift will, will do that. And he was just itching for a reason to coke to come after her. Now he does. But beyond well, that, like still kind of why I had thought about this and something that sort of makes sense in my mind is Moraes is all about getting investiture basically off the planet to sell. Right. And lift makes investiture from food. Basically, invest like like makes stormlight pretty much from food. Mm-hmm. Um, does he have some like? Does he have a plan of like how to use that to have her be like a little investiture generator, almost or like <laughs> like like does that like like that would be a good resource to just have this like person you just keep feeding and they just keep giving you stormlight, right? Like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I love like this podcast. Just, just get random stuff that I never would have thought about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I mean, that's like from a business perspective, that's a good profit margin, <laughs> you know? Uh, food for investiture, which is very like high price, I guess, or we've been kind of given the impression, at least on other worlds. Um, so if he has some system to do that, you know, he'd be making some bank. That's funny. I, and genuinely, I have no idea who the red AVR's owner was. Somebody we've seen before, somebody we haven't. I, I'm not, I don't know. Well, Wendell, or, or is it Lyft, or both? They recognize him. Yes. And they, they say, or at least that they, they recognize his face. And they say he's a lethe and that he was like, I, I need to go look it up now. Like some sort of a, I don't know, lesser noble of some kind. And he's old, right? Yes. And bearded, I think. Is is this felt? Do you know who felt is off the top of your head? No. He's the world hopper guy that's friends with Dalinar, goes with him to cultivation um i read you a brief excerpt in mistborn when he where he shows up um but i don't think this is him he, he oh no 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 he's on he's in shade smart with adolin and uh shallan right now i think i no idea 95 percent sure he's on that caravan in shade smart Sure. Yeah, I I don't know who this is. But also, Lyft doesn't recognize whoever is holding the green AVR. And she says, I definitely would have recognized him because he looks super evil. Is this not Marais? Because Marais has hung out around your Thiru for pretty much the whole year, right? That we've been away. Would would Lyft not recognize Marais? 
I don't remember them interacting before. Have they interacted? No, but I I assume that Lyft would have seen him at least once, you know? I mean, it would make sense that we put it together that it's Murray's because it doesn't mention his name or anything, right? It just right. talks about the green AVR, which is something we have to look for. But it makes sense in my mind that that Lip doesn't know who it is. It seems pretty clearly to be Murray's for me, just based on the description. Tall, scarred face, dangerous. Like th- those are things that I think come up in association with Marais. That plus the the green AVR, mm-hmm. that's enough. I don't know. It the, even the way he talks with the one line that he has just kind of screams Marais for me. I, I'm pretty confident there. Yeah. Marais seems rather malicious in this scene, like more so than normal, I would argue. He's, I would argue that Marais is more of a businessman than anything. And he's, he's cutthroat while he does it, but he's, he's there to earn his, his dollar. But here he just seems like he's killing and hunting. Yeah. But yeah, I I do think it's Marais. Possibly not. While I've got the book in front of me, here's the description of the the red AVR's owner. This is Lyft. Oh, no, I think it's Wendell, actually. Yeah, this is Wendell speaking. I believe I've seen him before. A minor Alethi functionary, though his eyes are different now. Curious. Look at his fingers. Tan skin with bands of lighter skin. He was wearing jewelry once. Like all of that just like screams like it's supposed to be a reference to something that I'm supposed to be picking up on. And I can't put the pieces together. Once wore jewelry, doesn't now. Eyes are different now. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna drive myself mad trying to figure this out. <laughs> I uh I have the wiki up in front of me and I clicked, yeah, cheating hundred percent. And I clicked on who this is, the red AVR's uh, owner. Yeah. It's hundred percent a spoiler. I can't, I can't tell you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, is this somebody we know before? And I clicked on, I was like, Oh, (laughs) never mind. Thanks for the tease. Yeah, suffice it to say is, no, you're not supposed to know who this is yet. That that makes me feel marginally better, and that I'm not missing something I'm supposed to be getting, I suppose. But, yeah. man, what a, what a drop of some information and hints here that seems really important. We'll have to remember all this. All right, into interlude six with Teravangian. Did you guys notice the different appearances of Odium between interlude four and interlude six? Yeah, he yes. in one of them he shows up as a as a fused, right? Which one is that? He does. That's he shows up to Moash one. as a fused, and then he shows up to Teravangian as a human. 
Just catering to his audience, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and I'm... I'm curious if that has implications on, like, what Moash respects versus what Teravangian respects. And, like, Teravangian's gonna be more intimidated by a big human, as or Moash is gonna be more intimidated by a huge fuse. I don't know. All right, Paul, talk to me about Teravangian, because I have zero remorse for Teravangian and the journey he's been on. And if you feel that redemption is applicable to Teravangian, I'd love to hear it. Well, I am really excited. This is the interlude that I've waited to talk about all night. I'm really excited to talk about this one, because one, we get a lot of super fun information and kind of almost seeing maybe what could be the chink in Odium's armor, or maybe the Achilles heel, if you will. Yes. Um, so, Teravangian, yeah, uh, Odium appears to him, and Teravangian is dumb Teravangian, and he's kind of thinking about this diagram he's made. this This thing which he kind of used to scare Odium into almost like revealing his plan and how he kind of realizes Odium can be tricked. Odium has human emotion. He can be, he can be tricked. He can, he, he, he can, he wants to boast, um, things like that. And so if that's the case, he can fear too, right? Yeah. And, and trying to figure out, you know, what can we do to make Odium fearful, you know, or kind of take him down. And Herovangian gets to see, he basically goads Odium into bringing this diagram back up, this huge thing, which is just pages and pages and pages. And he goes and looks right back at Renarin and where he is on this. And. This is super cool because we saw this at the end of Oathbringer. We saw Renarin kind of had like a little, almost like an asterisk ne next to his name. Not literally, but just he was set apart from the rest of this. It was like the missing piece that could foil Odium's plans. But what Teravangian notices that's different this time is it's not just Renarin. But it's kind of people around that are near Renarin as well. Odium can't necessarily like see into that well, or things like that. I, I'm probably loosely getting the details of that right. Um, but basically, uh, people near Renarin, Odium kind of, I guess, has less of a grasp over or, or something along those lines. Uh, but Teravangian has kind of put himself there as well. He doesn't know if it's just because he was within a, somewhat of a distance from Renarin, or what? But basically, Teravangian feels that he has an 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 up over over Odium right now. That's like a secret, and that's that he knows all this stuff, and um, that he might be able to somehow relay this information or one one day help. Um, thinking back. Teravangian has made a deal with Odium that basically I will do whatever you just spare my people. Yep. Um, 
And so that is why Tyrannion's been the worst. He doesn't care about anything. Very much ends justify the means. It doesn't matter if he kills everyone else in the world. As long as him and his people are safe. Yep. Um, so that's why he's the worst. But dumb Teravangian here is realizing how wrong that is. He realizes, though, that since he's in this spot, he can't go back on that because Odium would sniff that out, like, right away. Um, so he's planning to just go through with his betrayal and everything. Um... But he he kind of has this realization that he has information to to like in turn hopefully lead to the downfall of Odium, um, and at least internally we see that he wants to to share that I believe, which if him getting close to Odium does result in Odium's downfall, that would be a a huge like victory for our heroes, right? So that's about the only thing he could do as far as a redemption is literally he's, like, responsible for defeating Odium, but yeah. uh, he's done a lot wrong, and so this is simply, like, hinting at, like, a redemption arc, at least internally, right now for Teravangian, um, in that this dumb Teravangian does have sympathy for others, and he wants to um, he wants to save the world. He He realizes here that just saving our people isn't anything splendid, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to think through how this even might play out, though. If if Teravangian has the information, he has the key, he has the weakness, he knows that Renarin and maybe Zeth are the yes. weaknesses... I knew we were going to get there at, at eventually here with you, Paul. But but if Teravangian has this information, there's not really a great way for him to get this information to, let's say, Dalinar. Yeah. Because Dalinar is about to take him custody, right? He's about to say, hey, man, you keep stabbing me in the back. This is not cool. If Teravangian turns around and, and is like, Okay, yes, but uh, I just discovered Odium's weakness, and uh, you should take this information and act upon it now. Yeah, ain't nobody in the world gonna believe anything he says. And so, how how does he even help? How does he even take what he's learned and even try to help the good guys with the track record that he has? I he may not even be able to. Right. He does say. Um, I kind of have two things to say, but he does say that, you know, Dalinar is so, I guess, so kind-hearted now, or, like, forgiving, that he would probably hear him out before he's, like, executed, or, or anything like that. Like, he would probably hear him out. He, he, he says, I'd probably have, like, a week of time in, like, imprisonment before I'm ever executed. And so, I don't... I still, I, I see what you're saying. I don't know how he would say anything that's believable um, for our heroes, but I don't know. And and I'm very excited that Zeth is on here. One thing that's funny, and then something more serious. One thing that's funny is Terravantian doesn't he? He like realizes with this diagram coming up 
that Delinor has brought Zethethim. Because he can kind of like see where everyone is. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's like, oh, okay. He brought Zethethim and stuff. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Because I'm pretty sure they didn't know that Zeth yep. was with them. But anyways, he he when he's talking about making Odium fearful... He thinks that the one thing that could do that potentially, or sort of the things that could do that, could be maybe Renarin, but mostly Zeth with Nightblood, specifically Nightblood. Yep. Um, and with the destructive power we've seen, that could add up. That's like the weapon on the caliber that could fight something like Odium, as far as I understand. So that got me extremely excited. I feel like Brandon Sanderson wrote this interlude exactly for me because Zeth is my favorite, especially with Nightblood. And then I also absolutely love Renarin. And the fact that they are seeming like the pinnacle focal point and maybe the downfall of Odium just has me beyond excited. Beyond excited. I'm so, so delighted to find this out. Yeah. All that's really good stuff. I want to talk about Teravangian and his his game plan, um, long-term and immediate now. Way back in the Way of Kings, um, and all the way up till now, Teravangian has justified all of his actions with the caveat that you cannot defeat Odium. There's no way we can win. The only, the only thing we can do is minimize the damage. So I'm going to, like, the Death Rattles... The diagram, his pact with Odium, all of that is justified by the bottom line for Teravangian of you cannot beat Odium. I'm going to make a pact with Odium so that we protect Carbronth because that is the best thing I can do in my it, it, from in my worldview. With this interlude, he convinces himself whether this is whether smart Teravangian would agree or not. That's a that's a different question. But Dun Teravangian comes to the conclusion that you can, in fact, beat Odium. It is possible to to win and beat Odium. Well, now what? You you've justified the last five six years of your dumb versus smart life to do all these terrible things in the name of trying to save Carbranth. Well, if you can actually beat Odium, then, you know, he's going to have a Zeth crisis moment here in a second of, if I didn't have to follow the stone, then why did I do all those terrible things, you know? Like, if you can beat Odium, why did I kill everybody in those hospitals? Why why did I make the diagram, you know? Like, he's, I think he's going to hit a a moment here. If he just gets a little bit smarter and then realizes that, there's there's going to be a, crisis of power here in a second that is true if if not then he really is absolutely stone cold like emotionless because it talks about him being i guess having more sympathy and and kind of a more more caring side on the dumb days you know um but if yeah he hasn't seemed to address the fact of, of things he's done um so I don't know entirely what to make of that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure what to make of that either or where this might be going. I'm I'm always worried that Teravangian can rationalize anything. He he can 
he's our, we've said it many times, he's our ends justify the means guy. And so even if Teravangian comes to the right conclusion, I'm always terrified that he's going to go about it in a way that's still not great. Like even if he decides that he needs to help Dalinar or try and share his information, who who, who is going to get sacrificed along that, that path? I don't know. So yeah, if, if Teravangian does swing back and have another smarter day, we, we, we've kind of been told he's on the decline, right? He's getting fewer and fewer of those, those smarter days. So yep. if maybe he, if he does take a little bit of a, of an upswing, what will he be capable of? I, I don't, I'm not sure. Anything else for this interlude or the rest of the uh, episode here? Just a uh, prediction, if you if you're ready for it. Oh. Before you do that, yeah, go ahead. The only the only thing that I have is simply just the idea that book five being Zeth's book and having this point to like Zeth maybe being the pinnacle of defeating Odium has me so excited for book five. Yeah, and just like getting to see the full development uh just i was over the moon when i read this interlude i enjoyed the turf engine stuff a lot like i really i enjoyed this and this may be my favorite interlude ever like it's way up there for me it's super good i could go on forever that's all that's all i have the and just real quick to end this interlude tervangian orders his troops to betray dalinar and then Terravention is taken into custody, and that's how we end uh, the interlude. Uh, but go ahead, Elliot. So, Paul, if I had an umbrella, I, I would hand it to you right now because I'm, I'm going to rain on your parade just a, a little bit here with okay. uh, your Zeth story. Which, by the way, I'll say, I'm fully on board for that. Zeth book coming up, that'd be the culmination of our of our story here, that arc. Awesome. I'm all down for that. My prediction, though, is going in a different direction. We we just learned in this interlude with Teravangian that Renarin is the well, we kind of already knew this. Renarin is the, the 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 spanner in the works here for Odium. He messes with Odium's predict the future, know what's going to happen, figure everything out. And people who come in contact with Renarin fall under that sort of umbrella. Like that's how Teravangian knew that Zeth was there with them, is Zeth's name is kind of in that blacked out area of the information because he's near enough to Renarin. I wonder if the secret to bringing down Odium is to bring Renarin and Kaladin together. Odium also, in interlude number four here, when he was talking to Vire Mo- Moash, specifically says, I'm afraid of Kaladin. In fact, he mentions something to the course, to the effect of like, him stepping away from battle is a problem for us, or it's going to be a problem in the future. We need to act now to go, to go after him. What if, if we could get the, the Bernarin specialness to, to rub off a little bit on Kaladin. If, if Odium can no longer 
predict Kaladin or kind of, you know, think chess moves into the future against Kaladin, if we could take that away, if we could bring kind of the raw storm blessed power, the, you know, scion of honor that Kaladin kind of is and empower him with this weakness inducing power that Renarin appears to have, could that be the secret sauce? Could that be the solution here to bringing Odium down? It seems like sunshine over here. I like that a lot. I, I, I <laughs> love... I, the, th the thing that's got me excited is I feel like it's pointing towards all my favorite characters. Like, Zeth has been my favorite, kind of for the mystery factor. Um, but Kaladin is way up there, and Renarin is way up there. And they all seem like they could be very integral parts. So I'm I'm stoked either way. So I, I'm not quite sure where that leaves Zeth. Because the, the hint here definitely seems to key into that Zeth and or Nightblood is the, the way out of this, maybe. So I don't know. And the fact that the next book is is Zeth, so it seems that seems to hint it that he's going to become a major player in this if he's not already. But I'm wondering if if that might be a little bit of a red herring for us at this point. I'm wondering if that might be kind of smoke screening the fact that Kaladin is going to going to maybe provide some symmetry to our story by being where we started with and being where we ended with as well good stuff anything else that's enough to keep my brain spinning for another another week sounds good let's start part three thanks for joining me Paul and Elliot we will reconvene next week further up and further in it was...